You are now tuned into a very special recording of the Conversation Podcast. On the 18th of May, we celebrated one year of recording and held a live session event at the Curtin Hotel in Shoreditch. This is one of the amazing episodes that we recorded on the day, so we hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Sorry, that was an awkward little kind of silence. Um... Thank you so much for staying for this last one, this last um, live panel. We hope that we'll be able to, to keep up the quality that we've seen with the other two. Um, my name is B, uh, and I'm, a, I'm an audio producer, um, so I make radio and podcasts um, at the moment for the BBC. Um, but if anyone wants to make a podcast, just grab me afterwards. I have very reasonable rates. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, let's introduce ourselves. Um, let's just go down the line. We've got, as well, a very special guest, as all the other panels have done. Um, but let's just start with you, Mona. Hiya, I'm Mona. Short and sweet, that's it. <laughs> Mystic Meg sometimes. Every time I do this, it changes. That's why I wasn't going to do the story, but I might as well just do the story. From since I've started this podcast, I've been a student... I've been unemployed. I've been a Mac makeup artist. I've been an English teacher, and I've been a freelancer. I cannot find my feet, so I'm just going to be like, "Hiya, I'm Mona." <laughs> that works. Just keeping it, it simple. Works. Okay, um, I'm Cassie. I am a trainee clinical psychologist. Outside of my day job, I am someone who often talks about race and mental health. I have contributed to this book, The Ooh. Colour of Madness, um, which was edited by two amazing women, Rihanna Walton and um, Dr. Samara Linton. So get your hands on a copy of this. Available at all good booksellers. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> Uh, my name's Liv. I am a producer and a presenter at uh, Rinse FM, and I also write uh, for GRM Daily. So, basically, I'm just a big music head. Um, yeah, but I'm, I've got a lot to say on this topic, um, so I'm very excited to get going with it. <laughs> That's good. That you've got stuff to you're say. all going to think I'm nuts after, so just uh, you bear with me. Both. You and me both. <laughs> um, yeah. So the the topic that we're doing uh, in this panel, we're going to be talking about mental health. Um, obviously, that's a hugely broad topic um so i think we're specifically going to sort of be talking about the various feelings or ideas of shame that we can sometimes feel around mental health so whether that be the way that we choose to deal with mental health taking medication um misunderstanding there's a whole load of things we're going to go into so as obviously we're going to be talking about mental health there may be some topics that arise that might be difficult or upsetting for anyone in the audience so um there is a little room the door through there um where at any point during the panel if you want to go and take a breather um we're not going to be upset if you get up just go take it take some time out for yourself and you can come back in not a problem at all um i think we all understand if that's the case because we don't know what's going to come up um and so i think it'll be worth talking to begin with just opening up the discussion to talk about what everyone here and also i want to start with talking to the audience about what you guys do um when you're not feeling 100 percent, and i'm avoiding the phrase self-care specifically just because i do think there's a lot of kind of uh, there's baggage when it comes to the term self-care. So what do, does anyone here have a thing that they like to do when they're not feeling 100% their self when it comes to their mental health? Um, yeah, has anyone got anything? Can't really see anyone. Exercise, yeah? yeah we can do music? Yeah, just showers. Stop. Stop? Oh, <laughs> stop whatever you're doing. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that's a good one, yeah. Exercise, music... Yes, that's a really good one. I think that's one that a lot of people... Yeah. <laughs> Deleting, re-downloading. Or, or just <laughs> Yeah. The magic cycle. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I kind of have... Zulu, you want to say something? I was just going to say bragging. Bragging, mm. yes. Bragging. Yes, bragging. Going in the mirror to your pal. Mm. Is it you who has the brag? Where you go and brag to someone for... Yes. Explain. About what you're doing, how you. F I bragged that I got up. Mm. 
Yeah, okay. It can be anything. I read once, you know, not to actually put so much pressure on what you are doing in your day-to-day life. If you can get up and be able to accomplish one thing, and it was something so simple as just making your bed, how much of a difference that makes. And I know it sounds so stupid, but I've actually started doing that with my with my bedroom. So I'm a bit of a princess at home, and my mum does everything for me. I'm so spoiled. I am, because I'm her baby. So, I'm, I, yeah, it's bad. Well, anyway, she comes up to me the other day, and I'm, I'm going to be 24. Um, so, technically, I am an adult. And she said to me, um, Olivia, I think it's time that you start tidying your own room. And I was like, you know what? I back that. I think that's a great idea. And I, I've been doing it for a month now, and I am living my best life. I come home, and I'm so proud that I've done it. And honestly, I know it sounds crazy, but I've had a really bad start to the year. I'd say mental health for me has been really difficult. And the last month, I felt great. And I think it's mainly my bedroom. Was she tidying it for you beforehand? Um, I was just about to ask her. Yeah. She always tidies my... She'll come in and make my bed and, like, spruce it up. I'd be so annoyed if someone was doing that. Really? It's It's my mess. Yeah, well... Yeah, if no, I, I left a plate in the sink, I'm in for trouble. <laughs> if you are, if I left a plate in the sink, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah. If I told my mum to clean my room, oh no, I don't tell her. I what? actually say stop. Yeah, but if she just went in there and my room was dirty, she'd be like, fix it up. She wouldn't fix it up. She would tell me fix up. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't even imagine that. That's not. I, like I that, know. Though. I know. I'm going to tell her that story. I'm really not... I sound like super privileged, but it's just because my mum just loves stuff like that. I think that's when... We'll get into it, but I think that's where my OCD comes from because my house is an actual show home. There's not a pillow Ah, out of place. That's why we can't get a dog. That's why we just babysit loads. Okay. Going from what you said, (laughs) B. for me, I kind of like going to myself. Like, I'm somebody where... When I'm going through stuff, people wouldn't even know. I could go for a tornado and you'd mm. see me and I'd look like in good condition because mm. I need to go into myself. And I've started this thing where I go on my knees and I pray. Mm. And I, I'm not really religious. I don't know who I'm praying to. I could be praying to myself. I could be praying to the universe. But I pray. And I become really raw and authentic and I express the good and the bad. And I kind of have like a routine and a ritual and I take a shower. Mm. I come out and I have my like purple and gold Moroccan kaftan and I wrap my head and I look like an African auntie and I go downstairs an and African I put, goddess yeah please. An African auntie goddess yeah, that's what I feel like power and I go downstairs because I like to eat so I go in the kitchen and I know it's about to be a good time put the radio on and I'm dicing and I'm twerking and I'm you know dropping it low and I'm sauteing but that's when I feel good because I don't have to say face for yeah. anyone I mm. face my demons I'm by myself and that's what I need to like recover mm. I just disconnect and yeah. unplug of anything and stay to myself but I think there's something that's really important in that which is fighting the urge because like mm. you I think that my tendency is to withdraw if I'm going through something I'm yeah. a listener I mean that's probably a huge reason as to why I went into psychology I will ask questions I will mm. give you the listening ear but when it comes to myself and my own mental health I think that I've had to really learn and work towards doing for myself the things that I would advocate that my friends or yeah. the people that I work with in the clinic room you know I need to show myself that same um yeah, love and care and respect. I think that's hugely important. But yeah. then also having those rituals where you know what you need to do, you yeah. know what makes you feel good, but allowing yourself the space and time for that, I think is hugely important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that what everyone was saying there as well, switching off for me is hugely important. Mm-hmm. Like I had to get rid of social media, Facebook, I haven't been on for years because I noticed that it made such, it had such a negative impact of just scrolling and seeing people that I did not care about Mm, I don't care that you're in Thailand I don't care that you're a CEO of this company but Mm. seeing that as you know has been said previously comparison is the thief of joy and the amount of minutes hours that I was wasting on people that I didn't care about but made me feel so crap about myself Mm. so yeah doing what I need to do I think you need to talk for me anyway I talk to myself all Mm. the time and I always say that before you fulfill these roles of being someone's sister a Uh friend a girlfriend a teacher whatever your job role is I belong, I'm Mona, I belong to me. Mm -hmm. I need to have a conversation with myself. I need to check that she is okay. Mm -hmm. Because she's that friend that I've had for years and years and years, but I don't talk to her all the time. Mm. And then when I do, it's like, damn, where you been? Mm. And you've not checked in. I like this, I like to, but I haven't checked in. Mm. And I need to make sure that I check in with myself more often because I just don't do it. Mm. No, for sure. And I think a lot of this sort of stuff is, I'd be interested to know what all of your 
journeys, I suppose, uh, when it comes to mental health has been. Because I think a lot of our shame around mental health and the way that we deal with mental health, can it, it becomes internalised mm -hmm. um, during those, those uh, kind of formative years when we're going and learning and just kind of realising what it is that, that is... Um, hurting us, hurting our brains, hurting whatever it is. Um, so I'd be interested to know how you came to where you are today. Obviously, not everyone is a finished process. Um, and I'm sure I know I've got lots of work still to do when it comes to my mental health. But I think for me, it was a really t tough thing because I, um, for years and years and years, had a kind of diagnosis of, of general anxiety. And I'd done counseling and I'd done hypnotherapy for my phobias that I had and all of this sort of stuff. And then um, three years ago, um, coming up to the anniversary, um, I remember going to the doctor and explaining my symptoms because I was like, listen, I'm just having a really tough time. I've tried this, I've tried that. Don't know what to do now. Um, and I was explaining these things that I thought were just anxiety and what a lot of people were talking about when they talked about anxiety. So he was going to explain some of the things that are, that are going wrong. What, what are you feeling? And I'd kind of be like, oh, you know, so like when I'm on a plane and, you know, I just think it's going to explode. And I have that in my head, you know, that sort of thing. And he was like, hmm, okay, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, and, you know, when you go to a new place or a hotel and, you know, I've, I'm, I'm looking at all the exits and I'm deciding where I'm going to go if there's a fire, if there's a, an armed murderer coming in, all of those things that people with anxiety are always planning out in their head and having intrusively in their minds. And he was just kind of like, hmm, okay, yeah, so you do know that's not anxiety, right? Um, and I sat up and I was like, well, of course it is. When everyone talks about anxiety, that's what they, talk, that's what they mean. Um, and he just very bluntly was like, listen, this is OCD, what you've got. Um, and he put me on medication straight away. And I remember coming out of there and being really, really emotional and upset, not because of OCD or not because of any of that sort of stuff, but because I had been working towards fixing, healing one particular thing, which I thought was anxiety. And suddenly he's come out of the woodwork and be like, no, 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 start again, start afresh. And I had to come at it with a whole new mindset. So I'd be interested to know what your journeys have been, either professionally, kind of with, within your own, your own minds. Um, I've suffered for years, feels like years, hundreds, uh, with OCD. But mine was kind of a similar thing with uh, what you were just saying, B. Um, so I was 15 and um, I believe it was from GCSE stress um, what really brought it on. Um, it actually turns out it goes way, way back. It goes way back to having a fear that really bizarre that I can't have children. Mm -hmm. So I had this really obsessive compulsion with washing my hands. Um, at first it wasn't too bad. Uh, well, it was bad. It was stopping a lot of things but um my mum said we're going to take you to the doctor and I remember being like I don't need to go to a doctor because I didn't actually know what was going on um and then my dad kind of cornered me <laughs> my parents are separated and he was dropping me home and he was like by the way we're going to book you a doctor's appointment and I remember bursting into tears and I was like why does everyone think I'm ill I'm just I just like to wash my hands but they had been watching me for so long we went to the doctors and then he started asking me all these questions um, you know, like, why, why do you wash your hands? What, what is it you're trying to get rid of? Blah, blah. And then when he told me what I had, which was OCD, I thought, oh, OCD is just like when you're constantly checking things. And I was like, I didn't really get it. And um, so I went home and I read about it and I was like, oh my God, finally, I felt so much relief that I'd actually been diagnosed with something that was so spot on. Because I was like, oh, that is actually me. Um, so at first it was really, um, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad. And then it just deteriorated significantly. Um, I had a lot of, um, CBT, uh, private, uh, I had a psychiatrist. It was really bad. It was really bad. They wanted to section me at one point. Um, just because I couldn't live a normal life. I had this obsession that everything I touched was going to kill me and I was going to get ill and then it turned into an obsession with that hurting my family but it's just so crazy that your life can do a complete 360 like at 180 I should say 360 would just end up in the same place and that would be <laughs> absolute shit um but yeah it's just crazy because now 
you'd see me like laying on the floor or like, I don't know. Yesterday I dropped my vape four times on Oxford Circus. Every time I picked it up and I was definitely still on it. But it's like so crazy that your mind is just another muscle in a sense and it's just about training it, you know? Um, but leading on from that, I found that you were saying that in your contribution mm. as well about how when you were diagnosed with it was anxiety, right? Yeah, so I've, yeah, um, it's quite interesting hearing you talk about um, sort of GCSE stress. I think for me, it was around the time of, I think I just finished my GCSEs or A-levels um, and I started experiencing what I now know were panic attacks, mm. but just having the most horrendous feeling of my heart racing, um, thinking that I was going to faint, um, thinking that I was going to be sick, wet myself, just feeling like I was dying, and then thinking, like, I'm 16, how am I having a heart attack? Like, what the hell is happening? Um, and I think because it's such a physical sensation, it's such a visceral sensation, I didn't immediately think that this was something to do with mental health or um, something that was psychological. And although I'd never specifically spoken to my parents about mental health, I think the fact that we didn't talk about mental health was in itself an indication that it wasn't okay to talk about. And um, actually thinking about what you were saying earlier, Mona, I think for me there has always been a narrative of being a strong black woman and knowing that you know my parents, my family have experienced so many horrendous things that I cannot even begin to imagine that me getting stressed about exams was like why are you having a panic attack? You know, like, it, it, it couldn't in any way, um, it was in no way equivalent to what they experienced. So that was something that I very much kept to myself. And it was only through speaking to one of my teachers that I, um, yeah, began to understand that as, as a panic attack. It was ne never anything that I went to speak to a medical professional about, never anything that I was diagnosed with. But I think having that understanding and knowing, okay, this is a panic attack, this is anxiety, something that is really common that people um, experience was, yeah, a, a helpful journey for me in itself. Yeah, what about you, Mona? I think for me, it's been quite a difficult one because I come from a family of very small people and me and my sister are the only two that are quite tall mm -hmm. and we've been treated very differently compared to the other women in our family. Like, they're very catered to and, oh, are you okay? And they get checked in on regularly. But because we're bigger in the sense, we have more of a harsh... Um, approach so if you have a problem you're big dust it off mm. physically and mentally so I never had the space to sit down and actually express how I felt because I never thought about it because I'm big mm. I don't get hurt the way someone with a more petite frame would get hurt and that's such a stupid way to think but that is how we were bred to but that's how we both felt so if I had something that was going on I never looked at it as a problem because I just thought brush it off so I've never really actually thought about my own mental health and what's going on, even as I'm talking about it now. I don't really know how I feel with my mental mm. health journey. Mm. And I think that that's kind of the core everyone has touched on, uh, uh, an idea of shame in some way, mm -hmm. um, whether that be shame about going to the doctor and not actually thinking there was something wrong with you and that fear of like why are other people thinking that something's wrong um, or the shame of kind of feeling like you shouldn't be upset about something mm. um, and I think a lot of people especially um, there's a lot of, of shame and a lot of uh, kind of baggage that comes with talking about medication in, in, in particular um, now I don't know I'm, I was on medication actually up until a couple of weeks ago I'm now officially off Woo! took them for three years so I'm very excited yeah. to be um, but again it's not a, you know, it's not a, a fix, fixed mm. situation mm. but I'd be interested to know if people were um, comfortable saying if you just put up your hand if you have ever been on any kind of medication just of any sort really it'd be interesting to see if anyone has been yeah, a couple, smattering. Yeah. Um, and have you felt shame around that, admitting it or um, talking about, like, people, have, have people ever had a problem with it, basically, other people? Because I know I have. I personally have as well, but then kind of haven't. I've been on medication, um, antidepressants, since I was 15. Um, I came off them eight months ago. And I went back on them last month because I didn't feel like, although I was doing everything and the doctor said, you know, it's not actually disrupting your day-to-day -day life, we wouldn't recommend you go back on them. Uh, be, but in my head, I felt like 
I needed to and it's the best thing that I've done so far but it is that thing that I feel like I'm better so I don't need them and then you also are thinking you know well I remember seeing the other day there was a meme on Instagram again <laughs> and it was saying it said imagine that there's people out there that aren't on any medication they do a nine to five like talking about like a, a typical normal person but when you think about it it's like a crazy statistic of how many people have experienced some sort of mental health whether that is just whether it's you know some I don't know like well, a temporary depression mental or health, yeah and I guess that's a problem you know that people see it as an us or them kind of thing like yeah. everyone has mental health in the same way that we have physical health right. and we all experience distress we all I mean it's yeah, no one is happy all of the time. No one is calm all of the time. Um, but I think that there has been for far too long this narrative that, yeah, some people kind of have these problems and um, then there's a lot of shame associated with that rather than mm. it being, I mean, what is normal? We're all kind of messed up in our own ways, right? Right, 100%. Yeah, and like I... Because when I was put on the medication, um, I remember I had a very similar feeling of um, of... of kind of shame in the sense that I didn't want to tell anyone that it was it was happening um mostly because I was terrified that I would start taking these meds and nothing would change mm. and I'd have to confront the fact that maybe it was just me um because a lot of my OCD um compulsions and uh kind of things that were going in my head were were checking um so it would be I mean it was stuff about phobias and planes and you know fires and all that sort of stuff but it was also a lot um with my interpersonal relationships. Mm. So it was stuff about, you know, being being terrified if I would see one tiny little thing wrong in a text message and all the things that would go into my head that I wouldn't be able to shove out. And I suddenly was thinking, my gosh, what if I take these meds and nothing changes and it turns out that I'm just really needy and people don't want to be around me mm. because of that. Um, and there was also the worry of the side effects because obviously any medication you go on, you're going to get side effects. And I was on sertraline and you, you obviously start I'm off. On. Yeah. Mm. Woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> sertraline buddies. Um, you start small and you build it up. But I, you know, you get nausea. Mm -hmm. My anxiety actually got worse when I started going Me on it. Me too, yeah. And it's this thing of like, I was in a, in a job at the time and having to say to them, I didn't want to tell them that I was not doing well because I was on new medication. Mm. So I would just kind of be like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Or maybe I'd be like, oh, no, it's fine. I just don't feel very well. I had too much to drink last night. Or like mm. kind of coming up with excuses for actually, which would have been worse in a job to tell somebody <laughs> that. Whereas I should have just been like, oh, sorry, I'm just on some new medication because yeah. of my mental health. But I didn't want to tell employers. I didn't want to tell anyone and have them see me as be like too sensitive or anything mm. like that and have it affect my career. Which is so sad that we think that that is the condition of it, that we feel like you're less of a person if you suffer from something like that. When I think it's, I think if you're, what I've learned is being open with it is so much better. And I feel like I can understand myself. And I have n no shame now going back on it. Because at first I was like, oh, I don't want to go back on my medication. I want to do this on my own. Like I know I'm fine. But if it's like someone said to me, if you're diabetic, you wouldn't tell someone not to tell, take their insul insulin. Mm. So why are you trying to tell someone that has anxiety, which or OCD, which stems from anxiety, you know, that they sh that they shouldn't be taking something with what is it serotonin? Serotonin. What sertraline? Yeah, what? but like what? Was, oh. what's the um, oh SSRIs. No, what's the happy... Um, Search, uh, happy... Serotonin. Yeah, okay, all right. They're all don't don't doubt yourself. <laughs> serotonin, you get it. Um, yeah, like, obviously, clearly, I've got an imbalance of that, and I've got an imbalance of certain chemicals in my head that I just need help with, but it doesn't make you any less of a person, you know? I think what you just said about the imbalance is a really good word there, because I think when people think about taking medication, it's more of, like, giving up your control and mm. placing it on something else. And it's not about that. It's just bringing everything to a balance, because I I actually don't take medication in any way, shape, or form. I've even refused treatment before, but that's just me. I just don't really like taking medication. I don't know where that comes from, but I've always been like that. But um, I've lost my point. 
But I think that that is a really <laughs> interesting point because it ties in with what you were saying, I wonder, as well, about this idea of doing things by yourself. And mm. I've spoken to people who will say things like, um, if I've got a headache, I won't take a paracetamol. If I've... Um, yeah, if, if there's something going on for me, then I feel like I just need to get through it. And I think that that applies both to physical health and to yeah. mental health. Um, I think it's interesting as well, this idea of an imbalance, because I guess when I'm in a clinical setting with people and they're talking about what's brought them to psychology, that's not often what I hear. Like People don't often say, I'm here sitting with you as a psychologist because I'm experiencing an imbalance of serotonin or you know brain chemicals. Mm. What people are telling me is that I'm here because I'm on a zero hour contract and I'm not sure if I'm gonna be able to make enough money to pay my bills. Or I'm here because I'm in, a, in an abusive relationship and I don't know how to get out of it. I'm here because I am a queer woman and I experience homophobic abuse every time I walk out of the house. So I think it's really interesting that what people bring to therapy are often these social problems but the way that we manage that generally is to give people biomedical treatments in the form of um, medication so for me as a psychologist it's not so much about shaming individuals for taking um, antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication because I think that you need to do what you need to do to take care of yourself and for you to be able to engage in the world meaningfully. But I think that there's also no coincidence that the people who are most likely to experience distress are the people who are most marginalised in society. So people who are from black, Asian, minority ethnic backgrounds, people who identify as LGBTQ, people who are um, working class, all of those people are more likely to present um, in distress and in need of support. And yet, what we often say is take this tablet because your brain's in balance. It's not your brain that I think is the issue in that situation. It's society is an imbalance. Mm. Society, because we live in a capitalist, patriarchal, mm. heteronormative, racist... I, I, I maybe need to put this Here mic down no, 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 before, keep going, with the keep truth going, before yeah. I go too far. Um, but the, the society is the issue. And then we blame individuals and say, this is on you, this is in your head, and here, take this tablet and it will make you feel better without making any change to the society mm. that we're in. Yeah, That's I mean, the soapbox that I sit on. Because, <laughs> 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 I, like I mean, yeah, you hear it all the time, medication, people call them happy pills sometimes, mm. I've heard. And that's really upsetting because it's like, well, you can't just pop a pill and, and be fine. It's not really how it works. You also have to dismantle certain things and you have to work hard as well on, on the other side. But I, there's, a, there's a quote, actually. So, obviously, Cassie's got her book, the book that she, she wrote, um, a really great essay in um, called On Becoming a Psychologist. Mm. Um, and there was a quote here where you were talking about the foundations of psychology, which um, are white, Western, and individualistic knowledge base, which is really, really interesting to talk about because um, I think... What happens when these objective things that we, these objective structures that we assume are there to help us? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you can get CBT, uh, yeah, C CBT, CBT yeah. treatment, mm -hmm. um, if you can get it, you assume that that's going to be the right thing, and you're, you assume it's kind of almost going to be. I remember when I started, I thought it was going to be not a quick fix, mm -hmm. but I thought, okay, I'm just going to go here. I do my sessions, and after these certain number of weeks, yeah. I'll be fine. I'll be better. Mm -hmm. Or the medication, which we spoke about in another episode about medication mm -hmm. and um, certain medic like doctors not taking certain pains seriously mm. um, when it comes to certain groups in society. Yeah. I just found that really interesting. You want yeah. to talk a little bit more about yeah. that? Um, so CBT, for anyone who doesn't know, stands for Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. Cognitive basically being a fancy word for your thoughts. Um, behavioural, obviously, the things that you do, and then therapy aiming to be something that helps. Um, so Cognitive Behavioural Therapy looks at encouraging people to change their way of thinking, their way of um, behaving, and often there's an emphasis on people having kind of unhelpful ways of thinking, um, and yeah, therapy uh, helping to make some of those unhelpful thoughts more helpful. And I guess that I have had my ups and downs of that in terms of being rather critical, because again, I think that there is that narrative of it being all within the person. So your thoughts, your behaviours are the problem. And that doesn't always look critically at the society, the worlds that you're in. If you are um, having a course of CBT, you will be seeing your therapist for 50 minutes, an hour a week. You then engage with the rest of the world for so much of that time. 
you, you say, if you are in an abusive relationship, you're going home to that abusive partner. If you are living um, somewhere that you're on a zero-hour contract and you're not sure if you can afford your rent, you're still going back to that situation. So I guess I've been critical of how much you know, a one-off session or, you know, an, an hour a week can change that situation. So I think that there's still a long way to go. I think that psychologists, psychiatrists are becoming increasingly aware of this and are using their voices more for advocacy and for social change, because I think that that is ultimately what needs to, um, to help um, people who, who are experiencing distress and difficulties in their life. No, yeah, it's fascinating. If anyone wants to read more about it, I would recommend. I mean, my copy's on the way, <laughs> but I have read the essay and it's very, very good. Um, Thank you. And I, I, th I think it's very helpful as well, having as much as we can speak about mental health and we can talk about personal experiences, it's amazing having someone who actually really gets it, who's actually mm. training and mm. is going into that world, um, which is really fascinating. Um, but I I mean, we've. I feel like there's a kind of common thread through these these three panels that we've had about social media. Mm. Um, but I wanted to touch quickly on, um, like, a lot of wellness uh, Instagrams, wellness influencers who have started cropping up left, right and centre. I actually saw one on my way here on Twitter, which was about um, how somebody had spoke into existence their recovery. Okay. Um, and it was about, like, oh, I, like, I spoke it, I, I put my idea into the universe and it get and I and I just was th like reading this and thinking well, you can't be saying stuff like that mm. and expecting that people are going to read that some people and go oh okay so all I need to do is be like oh please please can I like I'm going to speak a million health? pounds into <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like what am I doing wrong and then start thinking well you've got to work yeah. a, a little bit harder at it I feel sometimes um how do you think that we can improve the misunderstanding that mm. comes around mental health I think a lot of it is about being educated and a lot of these topics are uncomfortable mm. and that's the truth. And loads of people don't want to be uncomfortable. They're happy being ignorant and being comfortable and not pushing themselves and growth isn't going to come from that. So even, for example, in myself, I don't feel like I've, I've experienced or I've had any mental health issues, but I am eager to learn and I'm eager mm. to know more and I speak with people and I close my mouth I open my ears and I listen a lot yeah. and a lot of people don't do that when they're listening they speak to shut you up mm -hmm. they're not speaking to actually take on what you're saying and I think for people who are on Instagram and they're speaking about well-being they're doing it because not all of them but majority of the time it feels like they're doing it because it's trendy mm -hmm. and you can talk about wellness while you're sitting Someone said something about Thailand with a fruit bowl and a monkey behind you with a peace sign. <laughs> you, you look really tranquil. You look really peaceful. Of course you're going to be peaceful. You know what I mean? But like you said, in real life situations, when you're on a tube day in, day out, and you're mm -hmm. working a nine to five, and you don't know where you're going. You mm -hmm. don't know who you are. Mm -hmm. You don't know, is this what you're supposed to be doing? Who can you talk to that's, yeah. not, that's actually engaging with you mm -hmm. and actually knows what you're feeling? I think that's how we're going to go somewhere actually people actually having real experiences talking about it and people listening mm. I think there's something as well about trusting your instincts. So you've both spoken about the role that medication has played for you and that being helpful. But I think there's been something from what you're saying in that, that it sounds like you've had to shut out the voices, the critics. Um, I know that people will often hear those people uh, that will say to them, oh, have you tried? Have you tried <laughs> exercise? Have you tried breathing? Have you tried yoga? Have you tried essential oils and mm -hmm. it's like okay well I'm already feeling like a failure because of what I'm going through so for you to tell me that I need to try xyz and invalidate the things that I am doing that I'm finding helpful is just no don't do it it's unhelpful yeah. and I, I know that from you know my experience of taking medication for like physical health problems when I hear that I don't think that person is coming in, uh, at me in order to be helpful I don't think that that's come I mean maybe it's maybe it is coming from a helpful and loving place but I think it's often said in a um, this is what I'm doing and unfortunately that then puts you, you down for doing what you need to do to look after yourself so trusting your instincts knowing what works for you and if that's not what is trendy on Instagram or whatever then you know let that pass you by and do what you need to do um I was trying I'm completely engaged in that conversation <laughs> but I was also trying not to laugh because it just reminded me so when I, I went traveling to 
you know, zen. Um, <laughs> Find yourself. Yeah, yeah. just mm. to get a bit of headspace. I actually turned out it didn't work. So I came back and I felt even worse. I went back to the doctor. Um, so I'd been off my medication for six months and I was feeling fine. But then whatever, whatever. And uh, the first one was like the first time and I was hysterical. This was only a couple of months ago. And uh, she was like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you, you should, you should get, you know what you should do? You should get a regular job. And I was like, well, that's not going to help, you know. Like, also, also, are you going to give me the job? Because that in itself uh, is stressful. You know, she was like, you need a routine. I was like, I, how can I have a routine when I do one job from six till 10? Then I do another job 6 p.m. till midnight. And then, you know, I was just like, what? But I got... Um, in this hysterical rut and it was just making me laugh when you were saying that because I don't know where it even came from because it's not even something that actually bothers me and I turned around and I was like and you know what else I just got no boobs and it's just so shit and then she turned around and went have you tried a padded bra I was like I don't think a padded bra is going to help this right now but you know when you're just like they just go like it's just crazy how that people will be like trying to suggest so much but that's why it was really interesting when one of the first things you said mm. was actually understanding that it's actually down to circumstance. Because mm. when I went back to my actual family doctor, which was about six weeks ago, the first thing she said to me was, this all sounds like uh, it's come back on you because of your circumstances. Mm. And it's actually society's, yeah. you know, you, you're so stressed that you're not doing enough mm. and that you should be doing better. Mm. And she was like, and that's where it's all coming from. It's not actually you. You're not... A sad person as you could probably tell I'm not mm. a very you know depressed person but in my head I'm so down sometimes mm. it's crazy because it is just coming down to the fact that it is what you surround yourself with mm. so for me like talking about social media I stopped going on my phone mm. from 9 p.m and honestly I can't recommend it enough because you stop thinking about what other people are doing and another thing is actually watching tv and not having your phone on you yeah. and actually watching it it's actually a really bizarre thing because you're actually concentrating mm. and that you're actually engaged with the, the whole thing rather than being like, oh, what's uh, yeah, yeah. But you even know? if it's not watching TV, I think that we've lost the art of doing one thing and one thing yeah, only. Exactly. Whether it's reading a book, whether it's cooking, whether it's watching TV, going for a walk. But, you know, we so often have our phones on us. Like, I'll use my phone to listen to podcasts. I'll use my phone to, if I'm out on a run, to um, check how many, you know, kilometres yeah. I've done. Like, So I'm so hooked into technology. But for me, social media, cutting that out, as I said stopping scrolling on mm. pointless people doing pointless things mm. which was just making me feel shit about myself mm. like no yeah for sure um so we have come to the end um so just a little thing to wrap up i think it'd be nice um if you guys had one thing that you wish people would understand more um either about mental health in general about your specific mental health condition or just self-care and stuff like that um because i think my number one thing that i always shout about all the time is about ocd and about the fact that ocd is not just uh cleaning mm. because the miss the misrepresentation of ocd in media and one of the reasons why i was freaked out when that's where he told me it was i was like there's no way i don't I'm not that clean. I don't like that. I didn't realise that there are four main types of OCD. Um, it's just got that kind of general umbrella. Um, and then whenever I talk about it, because I talk about mental health all the time, I tell everyone that I meet, hey, I'm B, I've got OCD. Um, <laughs> and, um, and the main thing, they're like, oh, so do you love cleaning then? Yeah. It's like, no, actually, I really don't, but I'm not going to go into that with you. Mm. Go Google it. Like, look it up yourself. Uh, I really like your boobs. <laughs> I told you that earlier. Yeah, on. she did like actually. Um, <laughs> for the record, me it. too. I'm me kidding. Too. Oh my god, thanks, for the guys. What a note to end on. Thank you, moment. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, I think self-care. When we said in the beginning about asking what people do to take care of themselves, I think that is so so important. And I think not feeling vain when you take the time out to take care of yourself because people do think that it's quite a vain it's quite mm. like it's vanity if mm. you have time to stand in the mirror and talk to yourself and like Zulika said, brag about what you do to your friends, those things are necessary and everybody has steps that they need to take and just owning that. Mm. Yeah, I think um, just continuing to do what you need to do to look after your mental health. I think my 
as I said, soapbox about um, moving away from some of these individualized narratives around what mental health is, recognizing that society is the problem, not you, because we live in this society that tells us that we're not good enough, that marginalizes people um, for all sorts of different reasons. That is the issue. And I think that trying to do whatever you can to counteract that is hugely important. So yeah, look after yourself. Um, I would say all of those are definitely what I would um, suggest. Um, but on a on a side note, just trying to think of something else, but um, be conscious around kids. I know it sounds silly, mm -hmm. but kids are actually, it's something crazy, like um, under 16-year-olds, one in four children uh, suffer with depression and anxiety, which is absolutely beyond me how children can feel that low so actually just being conscious around what you're saying um how you're talking and what you're projecting because I think we need to protect the younger generation because you know talking about all our generations I think we've got extremely tough financially but I think they're in for a really long run with their mental health and I just think being conscious of their little ears and their eyes you know so, yeah. so true lovely thing I'm just going to do another plug no so plug 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 yeah, please plug little ears little eyes get your little eyes get your little hands on a coffee <laughs> of the colour of madness thank you woo yeah that's it yeah do we need to okay amazing thank you round of applause yes that's fantastic and it's a very important conversation that I think has to continue it's not one that stops. Um, we did do an event on mental health in January, but you know we'll continue to revisit it because it's something that you know, as you rightfully said, Cassie. I don't think it's like a one-person thing. I think we all battle with, with it in one way or another. You know, unfortunately, some of us might have conditions that are a bit more chronic, a bit more acute, um, but others, you know, I've dealt with anxiety, so I, I completely relate. Okay, stop, sister time. Who wants to who wants to pick Does out? Does anyone want it particularly you want to pick it out? I'll pick it out. I see other people struggling too. <laughs> 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 Let's get the Ooh, oh no, that's what I want to rise to the challenge. I want to see what it's about. Alrighty. Okay. Um, not happy in my job, but it's flexible, good salary. I want to move but feel trapped. Not sure what to do. What's your advice? Sounds like a story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but you have but you have moved around. I have. So I, have. I think you'd have some good light to shed on the matter. <laughs> Literally, I have no idea whether I'm coming or going. Like when you know when you're you go to like family parties and they would ask you them more questions like when are you gonna have a baby? When are you gonna have a husband? That's the one for Mind me that I'm like Auntie <laughs> I don't care about the husband and the babies, I can deal with that. That question I'm like <laughs> I would say pretty much just owning your truth, you know. It's hard. Loads of people don't have a game plan. Some people have their life sorted out from, like, three. They're like, I'm going to be a surgeon. And when they're 50, they are a surgeon. And that's good for them. But everyone is different. Everyone is going through a different journey, different path. Happiness is not a destination. It is a journey. So I think if they are... They said that they're, it's a good job, it's flexible. If they're happy right now, why would you ruin that? Yeah, but I see, I would say the complete opposite. Would you? I would say, I think for me, the priority would be not happy in my job. Because the other two things, flexible, good salary. Mm. I feel like if you got that once, it's so easy to be like, I'm never going to get this again. I'm never mm. going to. And I feel like I felt it, especially in my career with audio production. It is so easy to be, to, you get told, you're never going to get better than this. This mm. is the job. This is the mm. one. And if you don't let go, then that's it. And I had this exact thing where, actually, to be fair, I was not happy in the job. It wasn't that flexible. And it wasn't that good of a salary. <laughs> but I also clung on because I was like, oh, God, I'm never going to find anything else. And I don't want to be in this little mm. limbo. And then they got rid of me anyway. And then I was in even more limbo because mm. I didn't feel like I'd controlled the situation myself. And I think whenever I like, when talk to people who are in this sorts of situations, I always think of my mum who was, um, she worked in magazines for a really, really long, long time. Um, and she kind of worked her way up. She worked, she did it from, she didn't go to uni, so she was doing it from when she was really, really young. Um, and then kind of 10 or 15 years ago, um, so she'd had her three kids, the kids were grown up, 
she just was like, I can't do this anymore. Freelance life was, was not for her. She didn't want to write. She wasn't enjoying it. And she left journalism and she retrained completely. She went and studied to train to be a reflexologist. And that's what oh, she wow. did now. And she built a whole new career. So whenever I think about this, I'm like, she was... I don't want to say she was old. She was older <laughs> um, and she completely changed what she was doing mm -hmm. in her life. And again, that's very easy to do if you kind of are settled and, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a middle-class white woman, it's easier to do. Um, but I definitely think that the not happy bit should be mm -hmm. the priority. I think, yeah, happiness is hugely important. Um, you know, jobs will come and will go. But I wonder if there's something about using the perks of that job. So where you have the flexibility, the good salary, can you be squirreling away some money? Can you be using some of the flexibility if you have, I don't know, afternoons or mornings off at some times, maybe developing a passion project, volunteering somewhere to get um, experience in another sector, which might be more suited to your needs interests might make you a little bit happier um but also any role that you have will have transferable skills so maybe what you're working in now is not exactly what you want to be doing in future but you'll have skills that you can take into that um role whatever it may be um mine's pretty simple it's all of those to be honest but um more would be on this one with the happiness part but it's about establishing what actually will make you happy so in this case if the money's making you happy cool mm. if the flexibility is making you happy fantastic but if you feel like that isn't making you happy which clearly it isn't you need to sit down and have a think what will make you happy will like you said saving money because you want to go traveling or buying a flat because that that's what you really want or you know actually just sitting down and realizing okay this is what I actually want is this job going to benefit me yes or no if it's the no then it's time to move on because there is always something else always you think there's not but there is <laughs> yeah for sure I think has, I mean, has anyone got any advice as well for this person? Um, like, have you been in this situation before? Have you got any advice, anyone? It'll be interesting to see how many of you freelance. How many people here freelance? Oh, wow. Okay. And how many of you are in, like, jobs as in nine-to-fives or, you know, you've got a contract and you're working? Okay. And how many of you working would say that you have envied your friends that freelance or maybe looked at their life and thought, oh, okay, it's a bit more interesting? And, and and how, like, did it take you a, a long time to realise that you wanted to leave? Were you unhappy for a while? Or was it, did, were you like, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm out of here? Yeah, no, I think it's just one of those ways that we can. It was more like the job plays my strengths and I had a good run. Um, so I just thought, like, I'm going to have a good run. 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 If you're someone that works nine to five and may be a bit creative, you often look at freelancers and envy them. And I find freelancers often look at their friends that have a paycheck and like, oh my gosh, you don't understand. Like I'm in a situation at the moment where I'm chasing a, a, a what's it called, an invoice that's been due for over six months. So like, but people might look at my life and be like, oh my gosh, she does so many cool projects and does this and does that. I would say the key thing for me, whilst I definitely agree with everything everyone said here, is think about why you're not happy. Because sometimes our unhappiness does stem from things like social media or looking at other people's lives and thinking that they've got it all made when they don't. And sometimes the little blessings that we have of a, of a good salary and of a flexibility can be used, as you said, to your advantage. Because the reality is we do have bills to pay. And I think sometimes we ignore that for like, oh, you know, I want to go and chase this. And it's, it's all well and good. It's just that you then need to be ready for a new kind of battle. Mm. And that new kind of battle is you grafting. For those of you that freelance will know, sometimes you don't know where your next 
paychecks coming from. Um, so it's just about being authentic with our conversations as well. For those of us that do work on passion projects or do, do have, you know, creative things that we do, it's about opening up, opening up about the realities of it and how sometimes it's really, really difficult, but it can be really, really worth it. So it just depends on how much you, you want something. Oh, I think there's someone with their hand up. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, again, I quit my job not long ago. Well, a month um, ago. I did cleaning for a year. And for someone that is um, the only person that's gone to university in the family, hasn't got daddy to pay my bills and all those type of stuff, it, it was coming to the point. It was affecting my mental health. It was mm. affecting my physical health. Mm. And um, I had to take a step back. And I was like, you know what? It's not worth it. And I do casual work, like, once a month and I, like, for a long time I was doing volunteering stuff and it was so horrible where I was seeing people doing things that I want to do and all of that and but I sort of learned that it is sort of the people that you know that will get you somewhere so I would sort of use the advantages of like okay like I'm gonna sort of like say hi how are you like can I like do some stuff with you and like constantly tell them like listen I need the money I need the money can and you help me, blah, 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 blah. And um, I even, like, had, like, a mentor for six months um, for, like, arts emergency. It's called... It's really amazing. Oh, yeah. I would recommend it. And um, even those... Even meeting those people, they sort of gave me the direction of thinking, like, what I need to do to get to my goals. So even if that's giving you a week goal or a month goal or a three-month goal, six-month goal and a year goal, and it has made me think what I can do to get where I am mm. and even like yeah I'm doing more like workshop stuff and Monday hopefully I've got get a job that I want to do and <laughs> but I'm not gonna like be very hopeful on it if I don't get it I don't get it but it will still lead me to another goal of like okay how can I get to that next interview to get that job and all that mm. and I think for people that don't have mummy and daddy to help them all the time like that is frustrating and I think if you keep going and you like you just don't stop I think that's one thing like you can keep doing and like if you actually think what can you do to get where you need to be and especially if you have that flexibility I think that's one benefit that you can have and then like you can think okay I'm not happy <laughs> I'm starting not to think happy what can I do to become happy mm. if that makes sense yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually, about like finding organisations and things. If the person who wrote this question, um, if, if you know what it is that you are wanting to do, um, there are so many groups on Facebook or um, Instagram or, or loads of different like organisations and platforms. Um, and people love like talking about, they love giving advice. They love doing it. And so if you go to them and you ask them and like uh, arts emergency and like, I know when I was out of work in audio, they found all of these groups, women in audio. And you go on and you go, listen, I'm, I need help with this or I need help with that. Can I have a coffee with, with you? Can I come and shadow you? And people are more willing, I think, than um, we give them credit for sometimes. So if you know what it is, that the industry that you're looking to go to, that's always useful. Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone. Round of applause for this panel. Liv, Cassie, Mona and B. Thank you. So just to say a massive thank you to every single person that has come today. We really appreciate your time. Do follow us on Instagram. Look at that, the irony. Um, at Women of Power UK, just to keep connected with what we do. Obviously, we run events usually on a monthly basis. So if you're available, you can pop down and see us again next month. A huge thank you to our podcasters. This is like half of them that are here today. We've got another half who, can, who couldn't make it. And to all the guest speakers as well. Huge thank you to The Curtain and to Anna as well. And to everyone that's helped out. So Cavell... Um, Emmy Lou, Lydia, Cecilia, Jackson, I know I'm missing out names here, Zulika, who is like literally been, can we just give her a round of applause because she's literally spearheaded, that's just been amazing, thank you so much, yes, but thank you, I appreciate you guys, so please do grab, I'm sure you can grab some drinks, um, now and we're going to wrap up and get out of here before they kick us out so thank you and also to listen to the podcast it is on Spotify SoundCloud and iTunes The Conversation spelled C-O-N-V-E-H-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N